Good morning. I am very blessed that I get to do this again this week. The, I don't know, I just love this study, so it's been really good. Um, so, uh, I've had people ask me how we know all this stuff that we've been teaching, and they, the thing is, we really don't know it ourselves, we study and we go to commentaries, we read people who tell us a lot of stuff. There's a lot of good ones out there like Matthew Henry and different ones like that. And uh, just really good ones. If you're ever trying to figure out how to go deeper into your studies, there's good commentaries. Now, there's bad commentaries also, so you got to kind of be careful in that. But uh, if you ever have questions about good commentaries, see one of us and we'll try to help you out with that. But uh, we're going to be in Galatians 4 today. And we're starting verse 1, but I'm actually going to, as I read, I'm going to start in verse 26 of uh, Galatians 3, just to kind of give us a, a run right into Galatians 4. We're only going to do seven verses today, and I'm hoping it ain't real long, but I will tell you, when you break these down, sometimes, you know, Pastor Chad did two verses one day for over an hour, it seemed like, but there's just that much in this book, and uh he he had mentioned it in the first two chapters. You see a lot of it, but there's this this very book Galatians is about freedom. It is about being free uh, from law and free from the past. and And the Galatians didn't want to do that. They actually were trying to live in the law. They were trying to bring law into Christianity. And Paul's trying to write to them that you don't have to live that way. There's more for us than that, right? So that's kind of where they're at in this. So I'm going to read uh, starting in verse 26 of uh, chapter 3. It says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Then you go into verse 1 and it says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under the guardians and managers until the date set by the Father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you are a son, then an heir through God. Let's pray. Father God, I thank You for this great Word. Lord, I thank You that You want to speak to us today, God. I pray that the very words spoken today would come from Your heart, not mine, Lord. Would come from Your mouth, not mine. Get me out of Your way to speak, Lord. Prepare our hearts, God, to receive what You have. And let none of us walk out of here the same as we came in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I went back to uh, verse twenty-six for or thirty, yeah, twenty-six for a reason. 
Because for in Christ you are sons of God, as sons and daughters through faith. So when we have faith, we become sons. But then it says, For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ. And we, this is the whole concept that Paul's about to talk about in, in Galatians 4. Uh, but it's the very, very thing he's going to talk about, how there's no difference between those who are in Christ. There's no, no longer is one a slave and one a son. No longer is one a, a, uh, Jew or Greek. There's no, there's no divide anymore that you are just under Christ. And it goes on and says, uh, you are Abraham's offspring, an heir according to the promise. And today I want to talk about that, that we are heirs. And we have to remember that. We are heirs. We, we are part of the, uh, inheritance. We, we get that inheritance because we are heirs. So I want us to understand that as we go into Galatians 4. He's laid it out beforehand and we're going into Galatians 4. And then it says, it says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave because he, because he is the owner of everything. And he, these, these concepts are a little different for us because in our society, things look nothing like they did in Galatia. But in Galatia, they would have been operating more off of a Roman law in this, right? They're, they're, they would have raised their kids in the same way that the Romans would have because only about half of Galatia was Jews, right? So we have to understand, I'm going to get through this, I'm going to go through some things here to try to get you to understand the picture of what these people were seeing. And that, that's why when Paul speaks it, it actually means a lot more than we see. Okay? So, uh, back in verse 26, whenever it said, uh, the word son, that is highest, which means the born or adopted, anyone sharing the same nature as the father. So this is a whole different concept of what we're seeing in verse one, whenever it says, uh, for in Christ Jesus, you're all sons of God. That's a little different word, actually. In this, he's coming back to it, and that very word means uh, is nepios, which means infant, infant, simple-minded, or immature person. It's a little different. The first one, when he's talking about heirs, he's talking about we are like-minded with the Father. And then he comes up and he says, for in Jesus Christ, you are infants, simple-minded, or immature Actually, it says, I mean in the air, as long as you are a child. That's the word he's saying. I, I went back up to 26. But he says, as long as you are a child, you are an infant, you are born uh, simple-minded, and you are an immature person, it is no different than a slave. And the word for slave here is not like the word we know as slave. This is not like a captured slave. This is actually the same word used whenever Jesus and other places in the Scripture talks about a bond servant. A bond slave, right? The very word is uh, dulios, meaning bond slave having no authority of their own. This is actually the same word used when believers willfully live under Christ's authority as devoted followers. So this very thing is uh, the ones who would have been slaves before and then they were freed. And then they chose to stay under their master because they loved their master and they wanted to be with their master the difference in that kind of bond servant is that bond servant 
was showed a lot of love and he was kind of seen as a person of value, but he was never seen as an heir, right? He was never seen as more than, than a bond servant. And then the son, the young son, the infant son is talking about lived in that same way. Says, uh, before we get on to two here, I'm going to explain the difference in, uh, in the way they would have done life than we do life. Okay. So say you're a person who has, uh, stature and you're a business person or anything of that nature. You would have servants and your servants would have a, a set of laws, a set of rules they would have to operate under, right? Because if they're in your household, they may, they may live a way that doesn't please your family or a way that's not right. So they know that when they come under you as a leader, there's a certain way to operate. There's a certain set of rules you got to live by. And a good servant would, would follow those rules to a T. Never with the thought process that they would ever be more than just a group of servants following the law, following a thought process, right? The son, the children would have been raised by the, the servants that were chosen to watch over the, the children. The father would have been out at war, father would have been doing whatever, and there would be a servant who would be taking care of those children, and they would live just as servants would have lived. They would have lived no different than the servant's son. Okay? Now, now think of that concept that you're... Your son's being raised as the same concept as the other son. So you have two of them. One's a servant's son and one is the the uh, master's son. And they're being raised the same. Under the same set of rules, same. The only difference is, is the master's son is being raised as an heir. There's more for him. Right? There's more. And that's the concept he's trying to explain. That right now an infant son... Is being raised like a servant. But he still has all authority over everything else. At least he's being prepared for the authority that the Father will give over him as an heir. Okay? Hope that makes sense. It's a lot to it. Uh, verse 2 says, But he is under guardians and managers until the date by his father, uh, set by his father. And this is a... Uh, this is an interesting concept to me because I didn't know some of this stuff before I came into this, but um, at this time, like there had come a point in time in every man's life, and we see it today, like in our society, when you turn 18, they say you're an adult. You to is 21, now 18. They're like, oh, you're an adult, you're 18. Any adult male in here knows at 18, you're probably not ready to be a man. Right? You're probably sitting here thinking, like, I did a lot of stupid things at 18 years old. And if you ask me to become a, a, a great leader at that time, most of us couldn't do it. Some could. Some start at 16 years old at the point of their mind is just right and doing everything the way they should do it. But there's always a different time period, right? There's not, there was never, there's not a set time when a man is trustworthy to be a man. There, there's not a time where you're like, okay, he's 18, let's make him president of the United States, right? We don't do that. We, 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 we should wait, but we put an age on it. Back in that time period, a son was not a con- considered a man, or at least not a, a, an heir to the father or a man until the father deemed 
he was worthy. Until the father said, you are now a man. Right? And uh, it's a whole different concept than now. And, and the, the thought process, the closest thing I can think of in our world today is like whenever you hire somebody on and you have some people who do what they have to do because of what they have to do, but then you have that one who's going above and beyond and they're leading and they're doing, they want to do well for the company and they're living a, a place of living well for the, for the company and doing their best. Not because they have to, because they want to. That's when the father would have said, you're a man. You're worthy to be my heir, right? There's a difference. We know that some people never come to the place to where they're worthy to be an heir. They're never to the place to where they're mature men, right, or women. And it's, some of us, just they just don't get to that place. So in this time period, the father would have never allowed that person to be seen as a man. Uh, there's a very... Uh, Things I just didn't know. There was a very term that was used back in the day whenever a young, a young boy or even a young adult as we would see them nowadays, uh, would start, would be noticed as a man. So say, say the father recognizes in his son that this son, he gets it. He's trying to live a life that pleases me and that represents me well. The father would have a, a ceremony to recognize the son. As an heir. And as an heir, you would have the ability to now conduct business and be the, the perfect representation of the father wherever you went. The, the, the actual ceremony was called Toga Virilis. Or Virilis. Toga Virilis is where we get the thought process of a toga party. Right? So there'd be a time whenever the father recognizes his son and he says, you know what? It is time. He would throw a big ceremony. He would invite family and friends and everybody, and he would publicly state that his son was now a man, and he would tie a toga around him. Kind of an odd concept, but it was it. They would take a white toga, which was the representant that meant you were a man now, and if you see him in a white toga, he now represents his father. And he would tie, tie that toga around him. This is, uh, that we see the same, um, we see the same concept in Luke 15, 22, whenever the father, whenever the prodigal son goes out, right? And he's, he's all kinds of messing up and everything and he's living for himself. He wasn't an heir. He wasn't living life the way he should live, right? So then he's, so then in, in verse 22, it says, but the father said to his servant, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and they put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this is my son was dead and is alive again and he was lost and he is found and they began to celebrate and they would throw a huge celebration that the son is now a man. And that's the very concept that he now has the father's robe. He's got the signet ring to conduct business now. And this is, this is, uh, this was grace because the son came back. That was grace. That's the way we get to have the toga, right? And it, uh, we see toga parties on TV, and it's a whole lot different concept of this because I don't think anybody you see on toga parties on TV are worthy to be heirs. <laughs> so, uh, okay. So, 
we have the concept and we understand that there's a little bit difference in what we would have thought, right? I'm going to explain one more thing before... Yes, I'm going to explain one more thing that just because somebody was born to a father, and we see it some in in Old Testament more than we do in the New Testament, it could be the oldest son and he's usually the one being groomed to be the heir, but if the oldest son is not worthy, the next son would be chosen to be the toga of the liars. And if there was no son, or if there was no son who was living of worth, of, of the value of representing the family, the father could pick a slave or somebody else who represents him in a way that the sons would not, and he would represent that person, and he would adopt them. He would adopt them as his heir. Now, we see adoption in our society a little different than they did in that time period. We see adoption as, you know, husband and wife see a kid, and they're like, we want to adopt that kid so we can have a better life for him, we want to love him or her, and we want to share life together with him, and it becomes more of a what the father and mother can do for the son than it is what the son can do to the mother. Father, back then it was actually a very legal thing. It was a, this person is a great representation for us. We need to adopt them to, to carry on for us, to be our heir. So the very concept is different. They could have picked anybody. They could have picked a slave or they could have picked a family member. They could have picked somebody else, but they then you were adopted as the heir. So that's a huge difference. Our concept of adoption is amazing. It's wonderful, but it wasn't what they meant here. It was actually more of a business thing. Okay, verse 3, it says, In the same way, We also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. And uh, this is a hard one to to kind of break down for you at times. So I'm going to read what uh, Clark's commentary has, Adam Clark's commentary. And Adam Clark is not the same Adam Clark that's Dave Brainer's son-in-law. So, uh, but he's pretty wise and he may have knew this stuff. So, Um, So from Clark's commentary, so when you see the even... Even so we, it's referring to the whole Jewish people were in a state of uh, of knowledge or, or youth while under the law. So under the law, they were never heirs. They were always they were always trying to just live out the law, right? Just like we were before we accept Christ our Savior. You're trying to live it out yourself. And that's the way at this time period all the Jewish people are considered in that same process, right? And then whenever it says the elements of the world, I want you to re- hear what his is because it's so much smarter than mine. And it says, a me- it was a mere Jewish phrase. Yesodo olam hasa, the principles of this world. That is the rudiments of principles of the Jewish religion. The apostle intimates that the law was not the science of salvation. We'll reset it. The Apostle intimates that the law was not the science of salvation. It was only the elements or the alphabet of it. They got to the point to where, yeah, I didn't go say here. They got to the point to where that very word meant the ABCs of is what it meant. And so that's why he's saying the alphabet of it. And in the gospel, the alphabet is composed into a most glorious system of divine knowledge. 
but as the alphabet is nothing of itself. So if you know your ABCs, it really means nothing unless you put it in, into something, right? So it says, the alphabet is nothing in itself unless compounded into syllables, words, sentences, and discourses. So the law taken by itself gives no salvation. It contains indeed the outlines of the gospel, but it is the gospel alone that fills up those these outlines. So the law laid out, like put into a structure, would show you the importance of salvation, but the law did not was nothing on its own. The law was just there to keep you in line. Just like the ABCs. They were, you use the ABCs, like if I give you, a, if I say ABC right now all the way to Z, you'll get nothing out of that. But when I implement it into words, you get something out of it. Does that make sense? Same thing with a law. The law laid out means nothing. But whenever it's implemented into under God, and then what Christ does, it starts becoming something. Right? It's what we've been freed from. So he's trying to explain that it, it had no real meaning. Verse 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, Born under the law. This is very important to us. Uh, man, I'm excited for this part. But We know now that uh, that every prophecy spoken of Jesus before He came that spoke of His coming, we know every last one of them come to be, right? We know this. We know... Uh, I'm going to read some of them. Isaiah 7.14 speaks of the virgin birth which later was fulfilled in Matthew 1.18, we see that a virgin gave birth. Tell you what, whenever you're 400 and some odd years, almost 500 years in advance saying these things, and they come to pass, probably means something, right? Isaiah 9.6 says uh, speaks that the Messiah would be born. So he would be born. He wasn't somebody who would come down. He was actually going to come and be born. And that's actually very important because a lot of people didn't believe that at the time. Uh, Micah 5.2 said he would be born in Bethlehem, which is huge for us because that's where he was born. If he said anywhere else, it would not work. Matthew 2 tells us that the, uh, the Magi knew exactly where he would be born. So it was something that was well known at the time. Um, Daniel 9.25, and Pastor Chad has spoke on this over... Uh, a time period, and I don't remember the name of the message. You can go back and look through some of them if you want the whole breakdown of it, or we can talk about it later. But Matthew 9.25, it speaks of the exact year of the coming of Christ, which was 483 years, if you do the math of how that would all lay out. And it all came out to pass exactly how Daniel said it would happen. 483 years, like, that's pretty good. I mean, if you could, if you could figure something out, if you could tell me, like, 83 years from now, Jesus is going to come back, and it happens that way, I'm going to stop and I'm going to listen, right? I'm going to think like, okay, there's something to that. Um, Matthew 5.17 says, and this is in reference to the, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Matthew 5.17 says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So this is Jesus himself saying, 
that he was sent forth, uh, God sent forth the son, he's born of a woman and born under the law. He actually came to fulfill them. He didn't come to get rid of them. He did not come to, um, make them harsher, even though we know whenever he starts speaking about it on the Sermon of the Mount, the law sounds a lot harder to hold on to than just the Ten Commandments did. Right? No longer was it what Jesus starts telling you, it's not about following the rules, it's about where your heart's at. Right? It's about what you're thinking, how how you live. And so when Jesus came, Jesus didn't come to to keep the law. That wasn't his purpose. Now he did keep the law every last bit of it, but his purpose was to live for the Father, to live the way the Father did, to represent the Father, right? That's the reason why Jesus came. It was The law was fulfilled by living for the Father. That's how he fulfilled it. Now, if he would have only, like we do often, only focused on the rules, it wasn't a heart thing. Then you're just being obedient to the rules, Right? We, we sometimes get it wrong. We think that we'll just do a lot of good stuff in our lives and we're going to, you know, I'll, I just won't mess up and God will be happy with me and when I mess up, I'll go do something to try to make that up and we do that. But that wasn't what Jesus did. Jesus came and lived for the Father and whenever they were like, hey, you're not following the laws, He's like, my Father made the laws, right? He spoke the laws. The laws were only there to keep us in line. Jesus was already in line with the Father. He didn't need something to keep him in line. And if we are in line with the Father, it's really all that matters. That's why, you know, it's to love the Father, love one another, and it's all it all be done. Right? So we, we have to understand these concepts that uh I'll just take it back to them. The Galatians accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, yet they were still living as slaves and as just mere sons to the law, right? They didn't quite get it yet. They they never they weren't heirs. They they didn't want to receive that. They didn't want to move into the the father can trust me and I'm going to live for the father. Instead, they were like, how do we walk this out? What do we do? And I'm probably the only one here who does that, right? Whenever like I get up in the morning, I'm like, what am I going to do for God today? That how am I going to walk this out, right? And it's no longer. Like, it's me trying to do something for God to please God instead of me saying, God, what what do you want today? What are we doing? What's my father doing? And walking out what pleases my father, being a representation of my father. Right? It's a big difference in, in doing it out of obedience and doing it because you you're in. Right? It's who you are at this moment. And it's a it's a concept that our brains can't always get, but but when you get it, you get it. And it's I can I can walk out and do everything I need to do right, and still if it's not for the Father, and it's not so I can please the Father, and I can be on the same page as the Father, and and I can just show people like I get it, God. I'm an heir then, right? It's a it's the same person at, at work who comes in, and their whole thought process is is I want this company to succeed. I want this place to. I care about this place. Like my heart is for this place to do well. Instead of the person that comes in, it's like I'm going to do everything I can right today, just so I don't get in trouble and maybe I can get promoted. Right? There's a different concept, and that's the same way with our heart with God. Sometimes we walk with a thought process of doing things instead of living them. 
and being a part of it. And uh, when you're being Christian instead of doing Christian, you're an heir, right? God can accept that. Verse 5 says, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. It's my favorite part here. Man, ooh, it's good stuff. I get to be adopted as a son. So I want you to understand, in this time period, the Jews thought they were it. Because they were. They were God's people. They were chosen. They were sons and daughters of God. They were, we know that Fell right underneath Abraham. All of that worked out well. And then you have these Gentiles who are coming along, and this is a word for them. Like, this is a word for me. As far as I know, I don't have any Jewish blood in me. You could ask my mom, but she probably don't know either. Right? So, as far as I know, I'm not a chosen person under the Israeli law, underneath the Mosaic law. Right? I'm not an heir. But Jesus, but this says to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. This puts us in the same place as that slave or same place as the one who was not born as a son. But because we are now seen as wanting the same as the Lord and having a heart for what the Lord wants, we are now adopted as that son. It's not adoption as an infant. This is an adoption as an adult, an adult ready to represent the Father well. It's a, it's a whole different concept. And I wrote this down. It says, because Jesus is fully God, He had the authority and the power to redeem us. Right? And it's only because He is God that He had that. And because He is fully man, He had the right to redeem us. And he had to be both. He had to be fully God and he had to be fully man for this to work out. He had the power to do it, but he also had the right because he was a man. It had to be a man who paid the price. So God had a good plan. It's hard to believe, but he had a great plan. None of us can redeem ourselves. And if we're all honest with ourselves, none of us deserved it. Before we accepted Christ and our heart changed and the Holy Spirit came in and changed our hearts. You weren't a good representation of Christ. May not even be now. Right? I don't know. I don't know where your heart's at. I don't know what your thoughts are. But I know me, if you ask me about 9 o'clock tonight and you say, are you are you worthy? Like, did you could you redeem yourself today? And I'd tell you, no. No, I'm still messed up. Right, I try. I try to every day live my life how the Lord would want me to, and have my heart focused on God. But only Jesus could do that. Right, and we were slaves to law, just as the Galatians were, trying to earn our way, but we could never do it. And and we did it. I I've shared it before, and I'll share it again. When I was younger, I gave my life to Christ. It was not. I didn't actually give my life to Christ. I said a sinner's prayer so I didn't go to hell. Right? I didn't want to go to hell. So the next week I come back to church and I say a sinner's prayer because I wanted to make sure I wasn't going to hell. And then on the third week I come back again and I say the sinner's prayer again because I still know I'm messed up and I don't want to go to hell. 
right? And that began to be the way I lived my life for a long time is I will do whatever is necessary not to go to hell. It wasn't a relationship. It wasn't anything of I want to please the Father. It was I just don't want to get in trouble, right? And I would go out and I would do whatever I wanted to do. And the next day I would have to wake up and repent and I would read my Bible to try to make my own penance. And I would do whatever it took to try to make myself right with the Lord. Right? Because that's what sons do, young sons. They try to make their parents proud of them and try to do things right. But then there comes a point in a child's life where a father and a mother look at them and they're like, wow, look at them. They get it. They're good. We can trust them. And then whenever that moment comes, it's beautiful. And that's the same thing for us. Whenever it says adoptions as sons, that we might receive the adoptions as sons, that's the same thing as that toga valaris. It's whenever the father sees that there's one who's worthy to represent him, somebody who has his heart, somebody who's wanting to, to represent him well, not that he would be perfect, but he was one who's ready to represent him well. And then he has this toga valaris for him. He brings him in and he says, you are my son. You will be my heir. And that's the adoption we all get. We get that same adoption that, that whenever we're ready to surrender our lives to God and we're ready to start living different, whenever we say, Lord, I can't do this on my own, He says, you're my representative. You're mine. Right? At that moment, you became a, become a representation walking under the full authority of God the Father. Kind of a hard concept when you think about how you represent that, but it's truth. The moment we accept Jesus Christ, we are now a representation of the Father. It is our Togo Valaris. At the moment we accept Jesus, we now become worthy heirs. We are co-heirs with Him. We're no longer having to try to figure it out. We're no longer on the outside. We're no longer like the Galatians. We're no longer slaves. Uh, we're free. We have the same freedom to operate in that way. We don't have to go back to the law. We don't have to be bound up. We don't have to try to figure it out and do it right every time. I'm going to mess up. Guess what? I'm still under the same authority as God the Father. It's where your heart's at more than it is where your your obedience is at. We should always be obedient to God because our hearts are there, not because we're following laws. Right? Verse 6 says, And you are sons. God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And whenever your child comes to you and he says, Daddy, and a lot of people look at the word Abba and they say, Oh, that means Daddy. And other people are like, Oh, you're making less of that word. Now, you, you look at all the old, like ancient Jewish 
historians and such, they say this word Abba was what a little child would call their dad, would call their father. How a little child would interact, it'd be Abba, daddy, father, right? So the, because of this, we now can call him our daddy. We now have that intimate relationship. We are now his forever, right? And it says that we receive the Holy Spirit. That's how we do that, right? The Holy Spirit in us cries, Abba, Father, or Daddy, Father. And because of that, our, our, our Heavenly Father hears it. Because of the Holy Spirit. That's the authority we have, right? We, we, we don't get a signet ring, we get a Holy Spirit. I'd much rather have a Holy Spirit's authority walking in me than a ring. You know, I, I see people with rings all the time. I don't understand all the time, but I would rather walk under the Holy Spirit's anointing, His authority, right? So the moment we accept, we have our toga valaris. We are sons, but we're also heirs, and we receive the authority and the... the uh, and just the respect, and we get to do, we conduct God's business. And that's really what they were doing in that time period with their sons. It was it's a whole different concept, but a, a family structure was the next one had to come up and lead. There had to be a next one. There had to be a patriarch. There had to be somebody who was leading. And and if you know anything about Jewish customs, you had a patriarch, and then you had... Uh, you had the sons and their families, and they would all be still under the patriarch. He was still the one who was in charge until he either died or stepped away and then the next would be raised up. But the others were still, whenever God, whenever the father would say, this is my representation, those sons can go out and do business. Not all of them, the ones that were representation. Right? And that's the way it is. We fall under that same concept with God the Father and Jesus Christ. He's the head and we get to be the body. We get to be part of that. We get to be... Walk in authority. We get to have, we get to conduct business for God the Father in His name. And our business is kingdom business. It's not like, let's go see what kind of money we can make with this. No, it's about saving souls. It's about affecting our community. It's about walking. When I walk out into the streets, my whole thought should be about my Father's business. Jesus said, I only do what I see my Father in heaven doing. Right? He didn't say, I'm only doing what the laws tell me to do. He said, no, I'm only doing what I see my Father in heaven doing. He didn't, he didn't think about the laws because he's doing the very things his Father was doing. The Galatians are thinking about the laws. It goes all the way back to circumcision. This all started with them wanting to keep getting everybody circumcised. And Paul's got to try to get their whole hearts understanding that it's not about that. You guys have missed the whole picture, Right? So I'm going to close it out with verse 7. And Ryan, you can come on up. Verse 7 says, So you are no longer a slave. Remember that. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And I want you to remember, the son never had, or the slave never had the same identity as a son. They may have been raised together. They may have followed the same rules. They may have been in the same household. But the whole time, the son was being raised to be an heir. The slave lives his life thinking, all I'll ever be is a slave. And I hope I have a good life as a slave, and I hope I can represent my master because he's a good master. 
and I hope I can represent him and serve him. And that's their whole thought process of being a good servant and following the rules. A son says, I want to be like my father. I want to be a great representation of my father. I want to be an heir to my father. I want to live like my father lives. I want people to see my father in me. I want what he wants. That's a son. And when a son does that, then he becomes the heir. And when we become heirs under Jesus Christ, it says we're co-heirs with him, we now get the same inheritance he gets. And sometimes whenever people start thinking about the inheritance that we get from Jesus Christ, we have to understand the inheritance Jesus Christ talked about was not just heaven. It wasn't, you know, streets of gold and a great mansion in heaven. We get that. That's a bonus, right? We get to live in the Father's house. But the inheritance we get is a relationship with God. The relationship we get is to live eternity with Jesus and with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. The inheritance we got is the Holy Spirit inside of us. We get God. And that's a far better concept than being a slave. You just get to live under Father. Right? I don't want to just live under the authority of God. I want to live with God. I want that intimate relationship with God. I want to be able to look at Him and say, Abba, Father. I want to do what you're doing. I want to be like you. Right? Instead of saying... Master, show me how not to mess up today. Master, let me stay in your house, right? Because that's what we often do. We think we just want to go to heaven and live in his his house. We want the same stuff he has. Well, servants get to enjoy the stuff the, the master has. They get to be a part of that. But only the son gets to start living as an heir and and having that intimate relationship, right? I imagine if a servant went up to his master and he said, Abba, or daddy, you'd probably look at him a little strange. Probably would have said, I'm not your daddy. Right? But those who were adopted, they get to say, daddy. And even a son, not every son was adopted as an heir. That's a crazy concept to me. That not every son was an heir to the throne. Not Not every son had that ability because they weren't living for the Father and the Father couldn't trust them in that. Right? Their hearts were not set on the things of the Father so they never got adopted as sons. I want to be adopted as a son. I want to be an heir. I want to live the way the Father wants me to live and I want to live the way Jesus wants to live and I want to go out and do the things I see my Father doing. And I don't know about you guys but I love the concept of, hey, I may not be born into it, but I'm an heir to it. Right? So I'm going to pray, and I hope you guys get it that we can't earn this. We can't do this. This is where our hearts are. And when God sees that in us, we get that toga valaris. We get to be adopted. And you may think, like, well, you're making it sound, Eddie, like... You know, we have to work for it. Nope, it's grace. It's because of Jesus Christ. You can't work for it. Because of Jesus Christ, we become heirs. Because of Jesus Christ, we become sons. We're adopted. But it's only through Him. And that's what Paul kept saying over and over. Because of Jesus, we can live this way instead of the way you are living. Right? 
when you're adopted, you now get to live this way. And it's only because of Jesus. You will not earn it. But your heart should be changing towards it. Okay? So I'm going to pray. And uh, I don't know. I hope you get it. This is it's a little different concept, but I hope you get it. And it's, uh, it's deep. So I know it, it ministered to me whenever I seen that. And it, uh, adoption is a little bit different than we thought. Father God, I thank you for today, Lord. Lord, I pray as we we sit here and we worship you, Lord, and we pray that you would speak to our hearts, God. That you would show us the things that you are doing, Lord. That you would show us where our hearts are at, God. Help us to be more like you. Help us to want to please you, Lord. Help us to want to, to be representations of you, Lord. God, I pray that each of us would be adopted into that, Lord. Lord, let us have many Togo Valarises today, Lord. I know I I thank you that I was adopted, Lord. I thank you, Jesus, that you died for that very reason. And I pray, Lord, that you would just change my heart along with everybody else's, Lord, to live as heirs. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. again the uh, the prodigal son whenever the father welcomed him back into the family as his representative he didn't do it in private he did it publicly and even whenever God the father wanted everybody to know who his son was whenever he was baptized God said this is my son who I am well pleased was public. And I want you to understand that as a representation under the authority of God the Father, it should be public. We should never be hiding. We should be proud of our inheritance. We should live as if we were the representatives of Jesus Christ, and it should never be a thing of, I'm embarrassed of my Father when I go out. Right? Then we're just sons. We're just daughters. But when we walk out proudly, we can be trusted. So I want to just leave you with that as we go today. So I'm going to close with some prayer. I love you guys, and I hope you just have a wonderful week of representations. Father God, we thank you. We love you. God, I pray that you speak to our hearts, Lord. As we go throughout this week, Lord, that we can be heirs. We can be more than just sons and daughters, Lord, but we would be heirs. We walk proudly as representations of you, Lord, and your authority, Lord, to do your business. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.